So let me start off with just asking a couple questions. Um, have have any who likes boxing or MMA or all that good stuff? Right, all right, all right. So you ever go to a fight with a friend or a group of friends? You go to a fight or you go to someone's house to watch the fight, and you don't even really care who's fighting. It's just a fight, right? Like, you don't care who the opponents are. You really don't have a favorite. You don't really care who wins or who loses, but you're there to watch the fight with your friends. If, um, another, scenario, another scenario is, so, so picture yourself. That was you. Tick, you know, write a mental note. The next one is, you ever go to an Eagles football game knowing that they were still going to lose, right? Like usually, right? Knowing, knowing that they were probably going to lose, but you still go because, you know, you know, you guys are somewhat devoted to your team. And so, and so, so even though, I mean, you, 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 you like shout for a quarterback and then you'll be like, crucify him just like, God, just like they did to Jesus. Just like, you know, one minute you're praising him and then the next minute, yo, we sh- I should have did it on that, yo. I should have did it. Um, and so, and, and so the, you know, you go to an Eagles game. Um, because you're an Eagles fan, but you, but you know they're not going to come through for you, but you still go. You still go. Another scenario is that you're, with a group of, you're just with a group of friends. You guys are out, you're hanging out, and there's a lot of you, and you're together. And there's always like the riled up part of the group, you know? It's some people that are more chill, more relaxed, and there's some people that are always like, always moving, right? In all those scenarios... They're the most, they're, they're, it's very likely that even if you find yourself to be chill, right, or relaxed, you're going to end up shouting at some point of the night. You know, you don't care who wins the, the, the boxing match or the fighting match, but you're going to be shouting because everyone in the room is shouting and, and the adrenaline is picking up and, and the emotion and the excitement. And so you too will shout along too. Anybody? All right. At the Eagles game... Even though they're losing, you're still shouting because you're shouting at them. You're yelling at them, and you're probably saying things that you shouldn't say at them, at your players, your team. And so you're shouting. And then when you're with a group of friends, even though you're the chill one, if everyone is hype and everyone is shouting and yelling, at some point of the evening, you're going to end up shouting and yelling too. Even if you didn't want to even if you didn't go there with that intention, even if you had not planned it, you will probably end up. You see, what happens is there's a power in the crowd. There's there's something about a crowd that has a power and energy, and what happens is you kind of go along with it. More reason why we uh, we always advise you, you know, to be cautious of who you surround yourself with, right? And so we see that crowds followed Jesus. They followed him. They followed him everywhere he went. And they shouted. And they yelled. And last week we began uh, a series, a two-part message about they shouted. They shouted. Last week we talked about how they shouted at his entrance into Jerusalem. Then we talked about how they shouted at his trial and they shouted, crucify him. Today, we're going to take a look at how the crowds continue to shout, how they continue to shout in the presence of Jesus. Let's turn to Mark chapter 15, verse 29 to 32. 
the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now. They yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. When then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law, law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. They shouted. So I know I kind of said a quick where they shouted, but I want to just do a, a little deeper, just so for those that didn't kind of watch, didn't see it, didn't hear it. The crowd shouted at his entrance, and what's happening is Jesus is riding in on donkey last week, and they were shouting, they were praising, Hosanna, he's here, right? They're excited. We talked about why all the excitement, why they excited, why are they shouting, why are they yelling? We said that there was something about Jesus, there was something about Jesus that, that they had experienced an excitement. You see, this dude was healing people, you know, he was multiplying food and feeding thousands. I mean, nobody has done this before. And so what's happening is like, they're like, yo, there's an excitement about following this man. There's an excitement about you know, who he is. And so they're shouting with excitement. They have seen miracles. The deaf can hear, the lame could walk, the mute could talk. These were things that were amazing. So how could there not be excitement? Then there was something about um, Jesus that he brought a message that brought enlightenment. Enlightenment. They were used to the same old, same old with the scribes and the Pharisees, you know? And plus, it probably got really old. You know, they, had, they had, probably had to be standing a certain way, holding a certain thing, wearing a certain thing. They had to be in a certain place at a certain time. And, you know, and it's very like, you know, you know how when you, and so when God said, you know, I could imagine, I could imagine, I could imagine. But there was something about the message that Jesus brought. He sat with them and spoke. He ate with them and spoke. He walked with them and spoke. To the normal people, to the people that no one wanted to, there was something about his message that was intriguing. There was something about his message that was different. It was fresh. It was like, wow. So they, it, you know, it, it brought enlightenment. They shouted because they were in expectation. You know, they, they, they knew the prophecy. They knew that their Messiah would come in on a donkey to Jerusalem. And so they were celebrating because this was the guy that was going to deliver them from Rome. That's why they shouted. They shouted at his trial and yelled, crucify him. Because at this point, now they feel that Jesus is an imposter. You phony. You fake. You were supposed to save us from Rome, and now you're telling us that it's not about that? You lied to us. Crucify him. They called him an instigator because he would not bow down to the religious leaders. How many of us have been called instigators sometimes because we won't bend with the truth? They shouted, because they said that he was an intruder. You're trying to contaminate our religious customs and our laws and our traditions. This guy got to go. This is how it's always been. We got to keep it this way. 
Now we see the crowds shouting at his execution. While Jesus hung on that cross, they shouted. They shouted. The people that once followed him shouted. The religious leaders are shouting. Soldiers mocking and shouting. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They falsely accused him. All this for you. All this for us. Sinful, dirty, ugly people. Who calls themselves dirty, ugly, and sinful? Now everybody's like, well, I don't know about the ugly part. Uh, maybe, maybe dirty and sinful, but come on, Pastor. Ugly too? Come on. I don't know. I put on my best best today. <laughs> we know that we know that they, we know why they shouted in the first two events. We know why they shouted at the entrance. We talked about that. We know why they shouted at this trial. We talked about that. And today we're gonna take a look at why they shouted at his execution. Again, the first thing is. They misunderstood Christ's mission. They misunderstood the mission. They were looking for a man to come in with an army following him where would stand tall and proud and that would look Caesar in the face and be like, yo, you're done. They would look at the Roman Empire and says, they're out of here. And that did not happen. You see, what they were doing is they were looking for, this, for Jesus to be Che Guevara. They were looking for Jesus to be Emiliano Zapata. They were looking for Jesus to be Leon Trotsky. For history majors, you know, those are all revolutionary, right? They were looking for a revolutionary. But what they didn't realize, what they didn't realize was that Jesus did not come to revolt. He came for redemption. He came to redeem a lost and sinful people. They missed the mission. They were so busy looking for this Messiah that would usher in the kingdom, but they missed it again because they were so focused on an earthly kingdom, an earthly kingdom as opposed to a heavenly one. What's up with this nation of Israel? Always missing the mark when it comes to the kingdom. Let's take when they all the way back, they didn't have a king. They didn't have a king, but they saw other kingdoms, and they wanted to be like that kingdom. They have a king. We need a king. Oh, well, you do have a king. You have, the, you have a king of kings. You know, our kingdom is greater than that kingdom that has a king and that kingdom that has a king. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but God, you don't understand it. We want to be like them. We want to we have an earthly kingdom. They were so focused on earthly stuff that they were missing out on the heavenly. And so what happens is God said, all right, here, take this dude. And he gives him Saul. But you know what? Saul fell. Okay, and David comes. I love David. That's my OG. He messed up a lot of times. He's a gangster too, if you didn't know but the thing is this, that fell too. Then comes Solomon. And Solomon, and this is just to say three. I'm not going to go down the whole thing. So Solomon comes, right? And he's supposed to be so wise. <laughs> I know, blinged out too, right? And the thing is, that falls too. 
You see, every earthly kingdom will fall. And that's something we need to understand before we put our trust on man, before we put our trust in any political party, before I put our trust in any type of social revolutionary thing that's going on. We have to understand this, that every kingdom on this earth will fall, will fail. But there's one kingdom. There's a kingdom that's led by a king of kings that cannot nor will ever fall. So we got a choice. What kingdom do you belong to? I'm a citizen of heaven. I may be, I may be hanging out here, babe. I'm, babe, I'm, I'm here for a, for a while. I'm here for a while. But you see, but I don't belong here. But see, because my citizenship, my passport doesn't say earth. It says heaven, uh, the kingdom of heaven is what it says. That's, 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 that's what my, I don't know, I don't know. I'll check passports later. <laughs> we still miss it today. We still miss it today. You see, Jesus didn't come just to be an example. He didn't come just to be a teacher. He didn't come just to be a social reformer. Jesus came. Uh, let's, let's, let's read it, let's read it. Uh, John 14, 6. So I'm not saying it. You know, you can read it. John 14, 6. It says, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus came to be the way, the truth, and the life. That's why he's here. That's why he came. And so you got to start asking yourself, is Jesus your way? Meaning, what are you turning to for guidance? Right? What are you turning to for guidance? Back in the day, we used to do, what was it, uh, uh, the directions we used to look up on, in, on the internet? MapQuest. Yo, half of them were like, MapQuest? Yo, MapQuest. Because that would guide us. That would get us to where we need to go. Google Maps. Ways. Right? But what are you, who are you turning to for guidance, for direction? Jesus came to be the truth. And we got to ask ourselves, is Jesus the truth in your life? Or are you depending on Wikipedia to tell you what's true? Please, no. Please, no. Are you depending on Google? I Googled it. It's got to be true. And then we got the media, oh, I saw it on the news, so it's got to be true. Hmm. Is Jesus your life? Are you willing to live your life for Christ? You know, I, we live in a generation, it's a do me generation. I got to do me. I'm doing me. And then they add the, what was it, the, the YOLO thing that I used to have for a while. You only live once, so I got to do for me. I got to live for me. I got to get mine. Even if I got to walk over somebody, even if I got to cheat, even if I got to steal, I got to get mine because no one else is going to care about me anyway. That's, we try to justify it, right? Are we led by our careers? Are we living our life 
instead of living it for Christ, are we living to just climb the next step, climb the next step? Listen, I'm all for, I'm all for empowering you guys to go out there and become a, like exemplary citizens and get great jobs and get, you know, and be able to provide for your families. I'm all about it. But there's a line that sometimes we cross where all of a sudden Jesus takes a back seat to our career goals. Jesus takes a back seat because we got to fill the bank account to a certain number and then we'll be okay. And maybe then I'll serve God once I get this much money in the bank. Listen, we got to be very careful that we don't put God in the back burner because we're trying to make ours. Yo, I'm going to tell you right now, he, he's the owner of silver and gold, the owner of it. Why am I going to bust my butt over here and ignore the one who owns it all in the first place? Then, you know, to do the, you know, the kiss up, you know, like, oh, you know, you, know, you got to kiss up to the guy who owns it all. You got to be there with him. Because even, even the crumbs that fall off of his stuff is worse stuff. You know what I'm saying? And then there's family. Yes, this too can be a problem. If you're not careful, everything you do for your family can also become idolatry and put God in the back burner. Listen, I love my wife. I love you, babe. I love you. But you can't take God's spot in my life. Say it, say it louder, girl. I, that's right. I can't take it. I can't take it. I love my daughter, but, but I cannot put her before God. The second that my purpose becomes my wife and my daughter before God, then I have put them before God, and they are now our idols. And God hates idols. Who are you living your life for? Yo, Jesus came with a mission. They missed the mission. Luke 19.10. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's his mission. Now, you can ask yourself, did he fulfill that mission in your life? Because we all were lost. We all needed a Savior. His mission was to come to save those that were lost. So the question is, did he fulfill the mission in your life? Has he fulfilled it? And the great news is that if the answer is no, it can be turned to a yes today. So another reason why they're shouting, they're shouting at his execution is because they were angry. They were angry because they misapplied the scriptures. They misapplied what they had read in his word. See, Jesus came to a world, right? When he came to the world, he came to a people and a nation that was very religious. They knew his word. It was passed down from generation to generation. Yo, the Jewish people are very good at that. You have to give it to them. They, are, they, they, they take what they've learned and they apply it and they give it to their children and they pass that to their children. So they knew the word. They knew the word. Yet in all their knowledge of the word, they missed it. It went over their head. You know, this happens today that many get so wrapped up in religious customs, they get so wrapped up in religious traditions, they get so wrapped up in, in rituals and stuff that um, they miss out on the very reason why Christ came. There are some people that even will take 
the word of God, right? And they will study it so much and they would memorize and they, they learn and they learn, but they, but they learn for the wrong reason. They learn to have knowledge only. You see, they're not learning so that, you see, they're reading saying, let me see what I can memorize and learn so if somebody else asks me, I can just tell them. Instead of saying, let me read so that you can speak to me and change me. Let me read so you can help me with my circumstances through your word because no one else's word is greater than yours. How are you reading the word of God? Are you reading it just so that you can say you know stuff? Because I could care less if you know stuff. Knowing stuff won't get you to eternity. Knowing him gets you to eternity. So, all right, all right, all right. I'll get, I'll get lighter. I'll get lighter. John 5.39. John 5.39. It says, it says this. It says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. Is, is that the first time for anybody? Did anybody ever, I mean, is this the first time? Did anybody hear this for the first time today? Come on, come on. Be honest. Be honest. It's okay. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. From the first time that God slew the, uh, and sacrificed the first animal in the Garden of Eden. Wait, I don't remember reading that. Well, listen, remember real quick, he said he took the skins of an animal to cover Adam and Eve. Well, okay, somebody had to die for that skin, right? The animal had to die. And so what happens is he, from, the, from the Garden of Eden... From the first animal slain to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve um, through the many years and the millions of animals um, that were sacrificed in the tabernacle and in the temple, um, God, God was teaching his people that an innocent sacrifice had to die to take away the sins of those who were guilty. But they misapplied the scriptures. And if we aren't careful, we can too misapply scriptures. We can misapply them. We can take them out of context. We could do all sorts of things that happen today. And, and I got a five-point uh, five sidebar, but don't worry. It's not long. Um, because I think we need to understand some of the consequences that happen when we misapply the scriptures, when we take scriptures out of context, when we do these things, because we're all guilty sometimes, maybe, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But if we take the, uh, the Bible out of context or, out, or misapply it, what happens is we get a limited or incomplete view of God. Limited or incomplete view. You don't really, really know who he is. And so what happens is, and so what happens is you end up thinking that God is your genie in the bottle because you don't really know too much, right? So God is your genie in the bottle. God is this cosmic vending machine that you walk up to every time you're going through something, right? And you want to pick and choose how you want him to respond, what you want him to do in this moment. That's what happens when we take things out of context. That's what happens when we misapply his word. We think that that's what he's supposed to do for us. When, when we, when another consequence is that we risk having an exalted view of self. Let me explain this. You see, what happens is people today want to feel good about themselves. They want to feel good about themselves. And so we go into the Bible and we look at all the verses that have to do with love. We go into the Bible and we pick out all the verses that have to do with grace. And then we say, well, he loves me and his grace covers everything. And so I can keep living the unholy life that I want to live? 
I can still live how I want to live. I can still do what I want to do because he loves me anyway. And because his grace is going to cover me anyway. And so what happens is we take the scriptures out of context, we misapply it, and then we end up exalting ourselves, thinking that we have to, that that the word is going to be tailored so that we can feel good about living in sin. We risk having a surface level understanding. And so what happens is you look at the word as a self-help manual. It's like it's a, it's a guide to how to live, right, to a certain extent. But what happens is because your things are misstrewed or out of context, when you experience true trials and tribulations, when your world is getting shaken, you don't understand how to tap into the power of God that brings deliverance to our circumstances. The fourth is we risk theological error. You see, and and, and this is a common one these days. This is real common these days because, you know, there's a million people preaching on the Internet. I'm preaching on the Internet right now. But what happens is the second you hear a feel-good message, the second you hear that that awesome uh, preaching or sermon that appeases your flesh, right, the second you hear a message that appeases your flesh, then you're like, ooh, that was good. I love this guy. Oh, I love this woman. And what happens is we begin to follow individuals, right, that are truly not giving you full truth. And what happens is little by little they're doing this, come on, come on, come on, and you're drifting further and further away from sound doctrine and truth. It's, just, it's, 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 it's what's happening. It's what's happening. That's why, you know, those you guys listen every week. It's not always going to be feel good. It's not going to be, it's going to be sometimes like, man, I can't believe he said that. Yeah, I said it. Because someone's got to tell you the truth. Lastly, um, of my sidebar, <laughs> we miss out on a greater level of intimacy with Christ, with God. Do you understand that you have the opportunity to be intimate with the king of kings? You have an opportunity. It's like, it's like you know, it's, there's nothing to compare. But let's just pick, like, let's, you know, a famous person or something. Can you imagine that you have an opportunity to have a one-on-one relationship that you can call, that you can hang out to, that you can spend time with, with at whenever you want it, with this person that's untouchable, with this person that nobody can get to? We have access to the Father. You can have an intimate relationship with him, and if you misapply or take scriptures out of context, you'll never really experience that. Okay, let's go back. These people missed the servant because they were too busy looking for a soldier. I wanted to say Marine, but it didn't fit there. You know, (laughs) servant, Marine, it doesn't go... <laughs> um, yes, the Messiah would do everything that they expected him to do. They, he was just not going to do it the way, how, and when they expected. He wasn't gonna. He wasn't gonna do it the way they wanted. So what happened was they said, "Okay, you're not gonna do it my way." They took him. They beat him. They nailed him on the cross and said, "We're finished with this guy." Do you know what happens when we put earthly expectations on a heavenly king? 
and then we don't see the results that we want before our eyes, many of us have also been guilty of taking Christ and nailing him right back up on that cross, walking away and saying, I'm finished with him. Some of us have said that because someone has died in our family and God didn't heal them. You know what? Forget you, God. I'm finished with you. Somebody got sick. They didn't get better. You know, uh, you lost a job. You lost everything. You went bankrupt. Whatever the case may be. You know what? I'm finished with you. Because the circumstances, the things that you expected, didn't turn out the way you wanted. Because what happened was you put earthly expectations on a heavenly king. He can do whatever he wants, however he wants to do it. Our love for him shouldn't be based on what he's doing for us. It's based on what he already did. Do you understand? So guess what? He could do nothing for me ever again. And I still should love him with everything I could. He could never do anything for me ever again. And I should still live my life completely devoted to him and to his word. You see, this is the thing that we don't get because we're so like, well, what's in it for me? What's in it for me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know he did that back then. But what's in it for me now? We say this. And say, yo, what he did, no one else could do for you. So even if he never does something again, you love him and you serve him. They were angry because they missed God's methods. They expected a king and got a savior, and, Ju- and Jesus truly did come to set them free, but it's, you know, it's just not like they thought they would. You ever heard someone say, don't pray for patience? Don't pray for patience. What are you doing? Pray for patience. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, you know, you pray for patience, and for some people in some circumstances, God will allow you to enter into certain stages of your life that will build your patience. Right? But the thing is, we don't, we, don't want, we don't want it that way. We just want instant patience. And what happens is he allows us to go through things because that's not the method we want. It. The method is God give me this, and he says, okay. That's what we want, right? But we say, God, give me this, and he says, okay, well, I need you to do this and this and this. Like when Kevin said he wanted a car. I said, all right, Kev, you want a car? Let's get a car. Get this much money first. I'll get the rest. Get this much money, I'll get a hookup. And Kevin was like, Kevin was hustling. This that. Kevin got his car. He was like, I'm going to have a car. He wanted a car. It wasn't just going to be given to him. We want things given to us. Instant, like this instant world that we live in, right? But the thing is, you see, as, as you're being driven nuts with the situations that are building your patience, you're learning how to trust him. You're learning how to wait upon him. You're learning to understand that he controls it all in the first place. These are things that you're learning as you're going through what you're going. If he would just go like this, you would have never learned that. However, in the six hours on the cross, Jesus accomplishes more than anything, any other conqueror in history. Six hours on the cross, he defeated the most persistent and terrible enemy to humankind. He defeated death, he defeated sin, defeated Satan, and defeated hell. No one else can ever claim that. If the crowd would have understood the crowd would have understood the message. They would have not been shouting hate. They would have been rejoicing. They would have been rejoicing because their sin debt was paid forever. 
Don't be fooled and confused today, right? Salvation isn't for the good people. Listen carefully. Salvation is not for all the good people. Salvation is not for those that are diligent in their studying. Salvation isn't for the hard worker. Oh, he's always here. She's always here. It's not for the hard worker. Salvation belongs to those that are willing to look in the mirror and say, I am disgusting, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. Those that will look to Jesus who died on the cross and say, you know what, I'm, here's my sin. I'm confessing all my junk to you. I need salvation. Have you done that yet? Have you done that? They shouted at his entrance. They shouted at his trial. They shouted at his execution. And then, and then the shouting stopped. The shouting stopped as Jesus hung lifeless on the cross. The shouting stopped. His enemies stopped shouting because the object of their hate was now dead. His followers stopped shouting because the object of their love was now dead. The shouting stopped. However, however, we have reason to shout today. We have reason to shout today because I'm not here to preach about a dead savior. I'm not here to preach about a man that did great things and no longer continued. I'm not talking about a man that almost led a revolution and then you don't hear about him again. I'm here to preach and tell you about a Savior who died on the cross and rose from the dead. Our Savior is alive and will provide you with salvation for those that come to him. Three days later, Matthew 28, 5 to 6, it says, Then the angel spoke to the woman, through women, don't be afraid. He said, I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Just as he said would happen, come, let me show you. Come see where his body was lying. For all the English majors, right? When you have an explanation point at the end of a sentence, it's a shout. It's, 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 it, there, there's, there's emotion involved, right? It's not just a regularly spoken sentence. There's excitement behind it. The angel, the angel couldn't even contain himself. This is the angel speaking with the women. And he's like, there's exclamation points there. I don't know if you see it. I see it. And he says, don't be afraid. He isn't here. He's risen. He's risen. Can you guys stand with me today? We have reason to shout today because our God is alive. Yes. 
Our God is alive. But there are so many of us that are dead. How can I serve a living king yet be dead inside? How can I be connected to the source of life yet be dying myself? How could I know of the great things that God is capable of doing, but yet still trusting on me trying to get it done my way? We have reason to shout today because our God lives. But we also have reason to shout today because some of us, some of us came in dead and will leave alive. Some of us have been dying spiritually. And today, God wants to restore that. He wants to ignite a passion and a fire because he said enough is enough. Time is too short. The end is near. Yo, back in the day, they used to preach like some crazy message. The end is near. But guess what? <laughs> they, were, they were getting it done. They were evangelizing. They were letting people know the gospel. They were letting people know, hey, it, it, tomorrow could be the last day. Today could be the last moment. Do you know Jesus? He wants to awaken something in you that has been dormant. It's time to start truly being an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. Church, I need you to understand this. You need to make a decision today to say, I can't continue the way I'm living. I want to change. I want something to be awakened in me today that has been dormant. I want to shout, not only because I know Jesus lives, but because I am a new person. I want to shout because I'm now alive when I was dying inside. I want to shout because I, can't, I won't be able to contain myself. And I got to let everybody know about the love of God, the greatness and his love and his mercy and his grace that he showed me. I got to tell you about it so that so you know he can show you the same thing. It's not just for me. I'm not special. It's for all of us. That's reasons to shout. Are you living lives today that shout he is alive? <laughs>